He came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning after Thanksgiving. Well... Christmas is coming. We have one great show for you today. We have Dr. Peter Michalos. How are we going to live longer? Paul Lunsis on the economy. Professor Kotkin on what's really going on in Russia. Bert Flickinger on how are the consumers spending. Mario Tonomo on Europe. Ty McCoy on what's going on in the Ukraine. Let's start off the show with John McLaughlin a national pollster that will give us the pulse of what's going on in our country. Tell us what the heck is going on. Is it final yet in the uh, congressional elections? Well, it's very close to final. There's two California races outstanding because they allow mail-in ballots to be uh, counted even though they might be postmarked a week after the election. So they have to give the post office time to get those uh, ballots in. And and, And it looks like you know, the, the last two races will go Republican, so the Republicans should have a majority of 222, four more than they actually need, which is interesting, good for my company, for my brother Jim and I, because in New York, we had two in Long Island, uh, Joe Cairo's Nassau County Congressman, uh, D'Esposito and George Santos won, and uh, we also had Mike Lawler win, and then two in Florida, with two new uh, Republicans taking Democrat seats there, so, you know, so we, we didn't lose any incumbents, we picked up five uh, seats from the Democrats, and the Republicans have a four-seat majority, so hopefully uh, they'll be put to good use to provide partisan balance, because what's going on in the country in the last few elections, there's been partisan parity. Roughly the country, and the po- exit polls show it, it's a third Republican, a third Democrat, and a third Independent. And, you know, even though the, the, the parties are polarized by their wings, when you control the center, you win the elections. And uh, right now, you know, you had uh, certainly this partisan parity in the November election. You had a lot of early voting that determined almost half the votes were cast early still, even though the pandemic had gone by. And the Democrats took great advantage of that so that they could keep the Senate and uh, minimize their losses in the House and for governorship. The third point is to we've got to debate issues. We've got to play offense. Like, we were very proud of our candidates, even Louis Zeldin in New York, who came close uh, because – we, they, they ran campaigns on issues, and they had really good debates with the Democrats in that they were trying to win the center of the election. And that's that's what determines the future. And that's what determines uh, how you're going to win the election. So it's a, it's it's, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a long time between now and November 24. But the race is on right now. The uh, presidential election, you know, uh, once, once the uh uh, 2022 is over with, everybody wants to run for president. Give us your pulse on what's going on. I mean, you, you, you heard my comments I said on Fox. I think President Trump could be better than Ronald Reagan in many, many, many respects. But sometimes he kicks the, the gallon of milk over by, by making certain comments to 
very powerful individuals. You've been a longtime friend of them. And full disclosure, I worked for him. I worked for him in 2016, said it was going to be a close election. Worked for him in 2020, said it was going to be a close election. And this time out, he's the front runner for the Republican nomination, in spite of the fact that some people have – it reminds me of Reagan. When I was, when I was young and volunteered for Reagan in 76, he, you know, people realized he should have been the nominee. And then after four years of Jimmy Carter, he was not only the nominee, he was the, he was the winner of a landslide. And because they knew what he was capable of. Here we know what Donald Trump can do as president. He gave a great announcement speech this time. A lot of people have praised it. They said he had the right temperament, the right tone. Gave him There was no place that people could attack because you could see he had all these accomplishments, the growing economy, a strong America. The world was at peace. Uh, he was securing the border. Crime was, you know, our cities were safer. I mean, I mean President Trump could be like Ronald Reagan. Remember Ronald Reagan going into the 1980 race? They said he was too old. They said he was uh, uh, too radical. They said he would blow up the world. They didn't like comments he said about people. Well, you know, Reagan had a different personality than Trump, but a lot of those comments are the same. And then Reagan, who was the front runner going in, it got close. He lost Iowa to George H.W. Uh, Bush. And then he had to come back and win New Hampshire and win the primaries. So you're going to see a primary. You know, Emerson College has President Trump nationally up 30 points. Uh, we, you know, we saw President Trump was leading handily in our national polls on Election Day in the post-election. And even Morning Consult came out today and President Trump's ahead in the national Republican polls. But there's a long time between now and January 24 when the Iowa caucus gets held. So uh, like Reagan, he has to prove himself. And, you know, you're a good friend. You've given him good advice. Whatever you told him going into this speech when he announced, keep that going. That was good advice. Well, like I said, he could be better than Ronald Reagan, and uh, he just has to control certain aspects of, uh, of things. Uh, tell us, uh, in the Democratic, I don't think there's any way that uh, – uh, that uh, President Biden will be a candidate again. I mean, he he just hit 80 years old. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what say you, uh, who are the leading candidates in the Democratic end? By the way, after John Fetterman won re-election, and you're seeing that the way the Democrats use the ballot harvesting in the early voting, I wouldn't say never that, that Joe Biden would run again, because the Democrats are capable of, of getting him reelected. However, in his primary, what's interesting in national primary questions among Democrat primary polls, uh, voters, only about a quarter would vote to reelect. They're ready to pick somebody new, although they don't have a front runner. And President Biden hasn't said whether he's going to run or not. You know, that'll be his decision that he said he's going to make sometime after Christmas. Um, you know, he might delay it further. But, uh, but the Democrats could have a free-for-all for their primary nomination. You could have... You could have a lot of new faces. You could have uh, some old faces in there. But uh, it, 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 with or without Joe Biden, their primary, primary process is, is going to be a free-for-all. Understood. Uh, what else would you like to tell the American people? Democracy works. We're going to have a balanced government with it where, where the Republicans, Kevin McCarthy in the House, uh, will be controlling their agenda in the House. A lot of times should be more disciplined. It should be more focused to set the issue agenda rather than the Senate. The Senate is going to be polarized again. There's the Georgia runoff coming in where, again, polls have have it very close, Warnock a little ahead. But it's really a turnout contest because December 6th, 
uh, uh, December 6th, you had that runoff election. And basically, each candidate got almost uh, 2 million votes. Donald Trump, when he was lost Georgia by, what, 10,000, 11,000 votes, um, got 2.5 million votes. So you really want to try to capture as many of those votes that voted for you in the past. So you're now seeing a contest where today they're voting in Georgia early in person, and most voters will vote early in person or absentee. The Democrats probably have a lead similarly that they had uh, during the November election. Now it's up to uh, Herschel Walker and his supporters, Governor Kemp, President Trump, uh, Mitch McConnell, to make sure that the Republicans and the Herschel Walker voters come out, get their absentees back in, into the system, get their early in-person voting uh, going that they win every day, and then win on Election Day. So we've, we've got, we're going to have a real turnout contest between now and November, uh, December 6th. Even though they don't have party registration, uh, you'll be able to see uh, uh, different areas. You'll be able to see different voters coming out in Georgia, and you'll get a sense of whether uh, Herschel Walker will win or uh, Warnock will win. But the most important thing is the Republicans need a message that they've got to stop Joe Biden. Americans want balanced government. They want a check and balance on these Democrats. They don't want Chuck Schumer's majority being able to get judges or change the rules that you don't have a filibuster or do other things. They they basically want to stop some of the crazy spending and some of the crazy ideas of the Biden administration. And the only way to do that is to, is to basically elect Herschel Walker and uh, stop Ralph Warnock from giving them a 51st seat so you keep the Senate ba- uh, divided and balanced. John McLaughlin, thank you so much. And uh, we'll catch up with you again next week to see where where the heck are we going, because it'll be uh, only a few days before then. He's a self-made billionaire. He ran for mayor, and now he's on the radio. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. With us today is Bert Flickinger. They give us an evaluation. Where are we going with consumer spending during the Black Friday, during uh, Christmas holidays? Bert Flickinger, what the heck is going on? John, uh, while it's a weekend for thanks, it's also a cause for real consumer concern. Uh, uh, Pay After is reporting that uh, 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, and 13% of Americans are putting all purchases on uh, pay now, buy later, up from only 5% uh, last year. Uh, so it's so it's a, a real crisis. People can't afford food for their families and uh, can't afford uh, transportation, rent, uh, and uh, the cost for electricity. So it's uh, concerning uh, this November, December, uh, getting to a crisis next year in 2023. Uh, understood. Uh, and um, keep going. Tell us, uh, how do you think Friday went? Uh, if not all the reports are in yet but for Friday, but what do you think? Uh, Friday's a big bust uh, from talking to uh, reporters in, in California at dawn uh, when the stores were opening at Citadel uh, Mall in Commerce, California, et cetera. And uh, only 20% of people are shopping in stores uh, right now uh, uh, during Black Friday. Uh, and it's going to be very muted uh, from Black Friday uh to start the weekend is Cyber Monday uh, tomorrow after, after Cass Roundtable. And the issue, John, 
is quite simple. Uh, it's uh, crime, uh, COVID, and inflation, CCI. And with crime, uh, only 47% uh, percent of uh, sh- uh, shopping is, is going to be done in-store, uh, uh, and the rest is going to be done online. So for Black Friday, uh, the estimates are only $9 billion in sales compared to tomorrow, Cyber Monday, uh, which will be $11 billion in sales. And with a massive crime uh, from California to New York City, uh, Rite Aids and Targets are, are having up to a million or are having up to a hundred thousand uh, per store uh, per per month stolen. And as you know better than anybody worldwide, John, there's uh, a one percent profit margin in retail. So if a Target or a Rite Aid is having a hundred thousand per store per month stolen, they have to gen- generate. 10 million in additional sales to offset that, and they can't. Uh, it's mathematically and financially impossible. So they're closing stores. Retail's the number one employer in uh, the U.S., uh, and uh, all those stores will close. All those workers, vendors will lose their jobs, and it will take an economy that's going into a recession into an even deeper recession. Bert Flickinger, you know, I live in New York City like you do. We live near each other. Uh, I've noticed almost every Rite Aid closing. Is Rite Aid almost out of business in New York? John, Rite Aid's almost out of business in, in New York, to your important point. And uh, you, going back to Jack Futterman, uh, our friend at Pathmark, uh, sold those Pathmark deep discount store drug stores that did over a half a million a week per store to save Rite Aid. Rite Aid's a viable corporation, but with all the crime between California, where Rite Aid does 25% of its total U.S. business, uh, to New York City, which is its most important city in the East, uh, Rite Aid could be unviable simply because of, of uh, crime. And you can't uh, make up in, uh, for what's stolen. And on top of that, shoppers are afraid to shop. Uh, in places uh, where crime is being committed. Do you think the long-term thing for the uh, drug companies is to do- go internet instead of having small 10,000-square-foot uh, footprints all, uh, all over the country and and having the problem of crime and having the problem of, of employees versus just mailing it or internet or using the internet to deliver to uh, uh, customers? John, you're, re- you're raising a really essential consideration that the internet is, is going to be uh, very important uh, for uh, millennial and generation XYZ sh- uh, shoppers. They're uh, between 50 to 100% of their purchases, dep- depending on how recently they've graduated from school, is online uh, for recent grads close to 100% online and uh, for for uh, the drugstores about 20% of the product from baby food and formula to uh, batteries and uh, razor blades are already locked up uh, so, so it's a it's a uh, tough place to shop as it is uh, but the 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 issue the issue uh, with with uh, crime too is that now the internet, John, is the number one uh, category uh, for shopping, even higher than food. Uh, first, first time in U.S. history is reported by the U.S. Department of Commerce. So uh, 
with the only category that's bigger uh, than um, uh, than the internet is motor vehicles, and that's not monthly purchase. So you so you're right. The countries move to internet sales, and for security, uh, for chain drug, your idea is uh, com- commercially common sense as, as usual uh, to move more to the internet uh, and less to the stores uh, where where crime is. Uh, out of completely out of control from everything from uh, pharmaceuticals to center store to the front end of the store. Anything else you want to tell the American consumer? The big thing for the American consumer, John, is it's a weekend of thanks. About 130 people came over on the Mayflower. Uh, close 77 of them died. Uh, the Native Americans uh, saved, saved us uh, with food as they saved General Washington's army. So it's a Time for thanks for the Native Americans and the United Nations, uh, uh, people of colors, all races and religions. And we need, as you've advocated, to get uh, common sense uh, from uh, energy to retail and in the streets and uh, for societal good. uh, So we can all uh, live and work and uh, worship and study uh, peacefully uh, in a uh, crime-free society. Uh, where everyone benefits of the American dream, which uh, you and Matt Wanning and uh, your great wife, Margo, whose birthday's coming up, and your your great family have uh, uh, advocated and encouraged uh, so well, lifelong, and, and thank you for your leadership. Thank you, Bert Flickinger, and we'll catch up with you again real soon as we get closer to Christmas. Thank you so much. Thank you, and best to your great family and team. Thank you. With us today is Mario Conomo. And he's a former banker in uh, Europe, uh, Zurich, and New York, Philadelphia. And he's going to give us an update of certain things that he thinks we should be concerned about, things going on in Europe. Mario, give us an update. Yes, good morning, everybody. So we have a situation in Europe which is developing in much the same way as that here in the U.S., and specifically people returning to the office. Many companies have implemented a a policy whereby people are to come in two or three days a week. Some companies are trying to push for people to come back to work to the office for five days a week, but they're running into headwinds with that, specifically because many uh, folks who have worked from home feel that they can contribute equally well while they work from home, and they don't want to incur the additional cost, especially now, Uh, where the cost of transportation is high, given what's going on uh, with inflation in the energy sector, in the Eurozone and in the European Union, many people would rather just stay at home. So many companies, for example, in the United Kingdom, are actually trying to entice people to come back to the office by offering meals, which are at a severely reduced price for their staff and their employees. Will it work? I don't know, but I know that there is the same issues that are being faced in Europe with respect to getting people to come back to the office as in the United States. In the United States, there was a report that uh, restaurants, that uh, 50% of them didn't pay their rent last month. Uh, is it things like that happening in Europe too? Yes, uh, many restaurants in, uh, in Europe, especially in the countries which have really been hit by the energy crisis, uh, and who had traditionally seen had energy bills of 1,000 or 2,000 euros a month or now, and now are getting energy bills double, in some cases triple that amount, are actually tacking on a surcharge 
which goes towards the gas that's used in the kitchen as well as the electricity which is used. I don't know how uh, prevalent that's going to become. I don't know how successful they're going to be. I suspect if it's for an interim period, many consumers who go and visit restaurants will actually be okay with paying it. But I think if it's something that's here to stay, a lot of consumers will uh, voice their concern and not go to those restaurants. That in turn will lead to many restaurants closing down. There's another very big thing about restaurants in the European Union versus the United States. In the United States, a lot of restaurants are either large uh, franchises of very large uh, restaurant companies. Many are restaurant chains. In Europe, a lot of restaurants tend to be mom-and-pop-owned businesses. So it's much more difficult for them to benefit from economies of scale that the large conglomerate companies in the U.S. that own restaurants are able to benefit from. The war, Ukraine, any, any additional information? Yes, yeah, so the city that was recently taken back by the Ukrainians, specifically Kherson, and it's important to point out that when the Russians took Kherson initially, they had uh, not actually fired a shot. They literally walked, marched into the center of town and raised the flag over the city hall. The same thing happened when the Ukrainians came back into Kherson. The Russians essentially withdrew and there was not an actual fight. Uh, however, what the Russians did on, from the other side of the river was they started uh, hammering the uh, energy infrastructure, both around Kherson, but also around uh, all of the Ukraine. And this has resulted in dramatic energy shortages. Some cities have 90% loss of power. Others, like Kiev, have 50% loss of power. And most cities have no running water and no sewage. So people are lining up in what is now... Uh, frightful images of snow, ice, and cold uh, in order to be able to get some water from a running tap in the center of town in order to be able to have some water to drink back at their houses. Um, President Putin uh, and Russia have said they are going to uh, continue attacking the Ukraine. Uh, they have said, the Kremlin has announced, that they are not attacking civilian targets, although overnight in Kherson, Several apartment buildings were hit, and there were civilian deaths and many wounded. Um, today also, President Putin, in a speech he was giving after meeting with families of many of the wounded uh, and, and killed Russian soldiers, rever, uh, referred to uh, the 20% of Ukraine that Russia holds, uh, Novo, Novo Russia. So he's, he's essentially named that part of the country of the Ukraine uh, as Nova Russia. So it's going to be very difficult at this point for the Ukrainians to make a case that they are going to get that part of the country back. I suspect President Putin and Russia, when they go into negotiations with the Ukraine, they will revolve around essentially that part of the Ukraine uh, re being retained by Russia. Wow. Well, Mario Kanamu, thank you for the update, and we'll talk to you in the next few days again. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. With, the kids With us today is Stefan uh, Corkin, and he's a historian, an academic, an author, 
And uh, he's a senior fellow at the Hoover Institute, Institute at uh, Stanford University, and one expert, big expert on what's going on in Russia. Uh, good morning, Professor. Uh, give us an update. I, I've taken the attitude, nobody believes uh, what's being said in the newspapers about Russia, and nobody believes what's being said in the newspapers about Ukraine. Give us your, your thoughts about what's really going on in Russia. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on your show. The situation is grim. You know, war is never a good thing. You got over 100,000 Ukrainians who have either died or been seriously wounded. You got a similar number on the Russian side, even though they're the aggressors. A lot of their boys are also dying. And so it's tough. No lights, no power, no heat, potentially in the wintertime for Ukraine. So it's really bad. Uh, at the same time, Ukrainians' uh, courage and ingenuity fighting back to prevent Russia from conquering them, from taking over their country and eliminating the, them as the rulers in their own house. So we're hoping that Ukraine can survive this Russian onslaught and maybe even get to victory, but it's a big slog still to go. Tell us, uh, uh, we get so many stories out of Russia uh, that Putin is not well. And then we get stories that uh, Putin really uh, is using this mercenary army uh, uh, from Libya, etc., etc. And then we get stories that Putin hasn't really used his air force or army yet. Give us, give the American people your thoughts of what's going on. John, one of the ways that you destabilize a nasty regime like this is you put out rumors that the leader is ill. If the other elites believe that the leader is ill, they might move against him to save themselves. Putin is not ill. The head of the CIA admitted it in public, and he's a very reliable guy, William Burns. But the rumors, who knows where they came from, who knows what intelligence service first put them out. But, of course, the, the media snapped them up, and, and everyone would love if Putin were to leave the scene, because maybe the war would end. Uh, but unfortunately, those rumors are false, and it looks like he's going to continue to prosecute the war. So, you know, you win wars on a battlefield, John, right? You don't win wars on Twitter. And the Ukrainians are doing well on the battlefield. They stopped the Russians from conquering their capital. They've pushed the Russians back a little bit since the early Russian gains. But the Russians are still occupying almost 20% of internationally recognized Ukrainian territory. So Ukraine's got to evict them to win this thing. And there are a couple of shortcuts maybe that people have been focusing on. That's where your rumors come in. One shortcut is the Russian army disintegrates because they're not really into this. Their morale is low. They're being forced, coerced to fight the war. Uh, there's very little evidence so far that the Russian army is disintegrating. But, of course, the media talk about it a lot. The other shortcut, John, is uh, Putin is overthrown. He's not sick, but maybe he could be overthrown by the others. And maybe if he's overthrown, he's replaced by somebody who decides to capitulate instead of escalate. Unfortunately, there's very little evidence that Putin's rule is shaky. And the third shortcut is the Chinese decide that they're going to pressure Putin and make him back down. 
but John, it's not clear that the Chinese have that kind of leverage, even if they were interested in pushing Moscow to back down. It's not clear that that would be enough. And so you got uh, three shortcuts that uh, don't look good right now. And so it's going to be battlefield victory for Ukraine, the only way to evict the Russians. Or the Russians may just sit and squat, you know, occupy that Ukrainian territory for some time. Let's go to Ukraine now. Uh, There are rumors around that uh, uh, 80% of uh, the Ukraine is... uh, uh, out of electricity, the, the people, there's no electricity and there's no this and there's no that. And yeah. th- then there's other rumors that the uh, president there is, uh, the money is coming in from Germany or from the United States. And some of it is going, somebody's buying bitcoins instead of using the money for the war. Well, what's, uh, tell us what you know. Yeah, John, so they're hurting you right about the electricity, the water supply. Uh, heat, lights in the wintertime, potentially, as we mentioned. Uh, the problem is, you know, Ukraine doesn't have a big enough army or enough big heavy armor to fight an offensive, you know, face to face. In other words, to just bash at the Russians across the front and push them back. You, you sort of need a three to one advantage in skilled infantry and in planes and tanks and artillery. So Ukraine's fighting a different war. They're fighting the war of shooting long-range rockets behind Russian lines to mess up Russian logistics, Russian supply, Russian fuel depots, and Russian command and control to make the Russians unable to prosecute the war. Disarray in the rear. However, the Russians have cottoned onto this, and the Russians are fighting a very similar type of war where they're hitting Ukraine in behind the lines. And so they're wiping out Ukrainian civilian infrastructure, like their power supply, like the power supply that runs the water system and runs uh, basically the heating system in the big cities where the majority of people live. So Russia is trying to make Ukraine unable to fight the war by hitting civilian infrastructure. By the way, that's a war crime as defined internationally by treaties that Russia itself has signed, uh, striking, deliberately striking civilian infrastructure. So Ukraine's having a tough time because of the way Russia's fighting. Russia's not giving up. It's continuing. And and so we're hoping that the more weapons and more long-range weapons and more of the kind of weapons that are ours and superior to the weapons that the Russians have. On your point about what kind of president and what kind of government we have in Ukraine. Let's remember that the Ukrainian society twice in our lifetime, 2004 and 2014, overthrew domestic tyrants uh, when there were fraudulent elections. And they're the ones who are taking the fight to the Russians. Sure, we supply the weapons, but the Ukrainians are fighting and dying. So we don't want to underestimate Ukrainian valor here, Ukrainian ingenuity, and their ability to fight. As far as the government goes, it was not the cleanest government before the war. And if they win, somebody's going to have to figure out how to make sure that that reconstruction money going to Ukraine doesn't disappear. Ukraine's whole economy, John, was $180 billion before the war started. That was their GDP. Reconstruction is estimated at about $350 billion on up. 
So you're talking double the amount of their GDP in reconstruction funds. Where's that money going to go in? Well, if you know your COVID money and what happened to all that COVID money, which was a tiny percentage of the American economy, and here you're talking 200% the size of Ukraine in reconstruction funds. So, yeah, I'm with you on this. I want to know how that money is being spent and who's going to be accountable. I'm very impressed with the Ukrainians' ability to take this fight to the Russians, even though they're outgunned and outnumbered at the start. Now, the other uh, thing going on is uh, that the equipment being sent by Germany and others are leftover equipment that they don't want to need, and they just want to look like they're good, that they're sending the Ukraine uh, product. Uh, have you heard that? In other words, the Germans sent Hollinsers. They were good for about two weeks, and then they went kaput. <laughs> yeah, John, sometimes that happens in war, even when you don't intend it. So there's an equation here, and this equation goes as follows. It's pretty easy. Ukrainian courage plus Russian atrocities equals Western unity and resolve. Plus the Russian atrocities has made the West remember who we are, what we stand for, what our values are, how strong we are. Right? We got the financial system. We got the military. We got the freedom. We're not remembering who we are, John, thanks to the Ukrainians on the battlefield. And so that equation... Right, Ukrainian courage, Russian plus Russian atrocities equals Western unity and resolve. That's brought us a long way. Sure, sometimes you have the Germans dragging their feet. Sure, sometimes the weapons have been slow to get there. Sure, a lot of times they haven't been in sufficient numbers. On the other hand, let's remember, uh, Ukrainians are making Joe Biden look like the president at this point. Right. Because of his support for them. He withdrew from Afghanistan in the dead of night and left all of our weapons there and, and abandoned a lot of our people who had fought with us. He wanted to do something similar in Ukraine. Uh, they evacuated the embassy. They offered Zelensky the means to get out. And President Zelensky of Ukraine decided to stay and fight. And so it's really Ukraine that's made us remember who we are. And it's even made Joe Biden look like a president, which is a pretty big achievement. Well, Professor Stefan uh, Notkin, am I saying it right? Uh, yeah, Kotkin, you got it, John. Listen, you know, you know, John, uh, great show. Thank you for letting letting me be on, and uh, thank you for the uh, also for the grocery store that's around the corner from me. Well, thank you for for telling the American people the truth, and we'll catch up again real soon. Okay, be well. Be well. With us today is Paul Linsis, and he manages money for a lot of important individuals in this, uh, in this country. And, uh, and uh, let's see what he has to say about coming Christmas. Uh, go, good morning, Paul. Uh, let us know what's going on uh, with the coming Christmas, and give us your thoughts on, uh, on the markets. Give us your thought on, on Christmas shopping, whatever you think. You know, it, it's, it's kind of, John, it's, it's a very interesting time. You have many retailers Macy's, Target, Kohl's, Gap, Nordstrom, and a few others. Many of them have, those specific ones, have spoken about a lull in sales uh, in late October and early November. Target cut its holiday quarter outlook. Kohl's pulled its forecast. Uh, Macy's CEO Jeff Jeanette 
He talked about some of the shoppers um, with visiting its stores as well as the website having a, a challenging time. I think inflation is playing a role in this. Uh, it's eating away at some of the free cash that a lot of consumers have that they're going to want to spend for the holidays, not only Black Friday, Cyber Monday, but also, also throughout Christmas. Now, having said that, there are other companies like TJX and Raw Stores, discount stores for, for name brand merchandise that are apparel retail stores, and they've done really well. So it really depends on the individual company, Dollar, Dollar General um, and some of the other dollar stores, um, lower price products are really doing well. So it's a mixed bag, John. There's some companies that are finding it challenging and some companies that are doing well in this environment. Black Friday, any gut feeling on how that's going to happen? They're estimating, John, that almost 166, 170 million people um, are going to be expected to shop, uh, you know, over the weekend, Black Friday and over the weekend. And at the end of the day, they're projecting that despite inflation, um, they're hoping that it will still be an attractive time because people are really willing to be patient and, and wait. And it's a discount game right now. And so retailers, the ones I just mentioned, Macy's, Target and others, they're going to have to offer very attractive prices. And so as a result, people are estimating, the National Retail Federation was, was estimating a 6 to 8% increase in sales. So that'll be interesting to see if that's the case. Now, don't forget, inflation is, is impacting that a little bit. So some of those uh, numbers of 6 to 8% are, are, are also impacted by the high levels of inflation. All right, let's go to the big picture. We talked about uh, Christmas. We talked about uh, Thanksgiving and uh, Black Friday. There's people that are saying 2023 is going to be a tough year. There's other people saying uh, the worst is over. Any particular opinion from you? Well, a lot of that, John, depends on what's going to happen with the Fed. They meet December 13th and 14th, and on the 14th at 2 o'clock, they're going to announce um, another increase. They've had four 75 basis point increases. They're probably going to announce a 50 basis point increase rather than the 75 um, but I think that's baked in. And even though it'll be lower than the 75, it might, you know, it might uh, be really excite the market a little bit. But the reality is, if rates keep rising, it's going to continue to have a profound effect on, on mortgage, mortgage originations, both regular and, and refis, on housing industry. And it's reverberating throughout the economy. And so layoffs have begun. Companies are starting to lay off in the tech space, whether it's Amazon or Meta, also known as Facebook, uh, Google and others, Apple. So there's a lot of conflicting things going on, but I think 2023 is going to be a very, a much more challenging time for both the economy and the stock market. The uh, big techs, the Googles, the Amazons, uh, the big guys, Apple, are they going to have a lot more layoffs? Any gut feeling on that? Well, I think, John, I think at the end of the day, a lot of those businesses are being impacted negatively. Consumers are switching from goods-based to services, but what's happening is they need to right-size their businesses for the amount of economic demand um, that their businesses are getting. And so Amazon and all the companies in that space, you know, they have to right-size their businesses. We've been in a really great environment, particularly because, sadly, what happened in 
2020, as things really, really slowed down in 2020, 2021 and much of some of 2022 was really a catch up. So you basically were pulling a lot of things into those years because 2020 really died. Businesses really weren't able to function and really weren't able to operate. So a lot of that pent up demand from 2020 flew into 2021 and some of 2022. But that's really beginning to slow. Inflation's having a big impact on consumers. Um, and that's making a, a dent in people's pocketbooks, mortgages, mortgage rates, interest rates. There's also, John, quite a bit of debt out there, particularly at the company level and the government level. And that's also going to start having an impact. If rates keep rising, even a little bit, and they stay elevated, it's going to have a profound effect on consumers and the economy. And I think also, John, one final point, in 2023, the markets come back some from its lows. The markets are still down. The S&P, the Dow, and the NASDAQ are still down year to date, but they've come back some from the historic lows they hit several months ago back in June and so forth. But I just think the earnings of companies, which had highest profit margins they've had in a long time, 13% plus, I think it's going to be a challenge, and earnings are going to be a challenge for many of these companies. Um, So having said that, I think 2023 is going to be a challenging time, but I'm always optimistic. And so hopefully, hopefully the government will help on the energy side. They'll have a more balanced approach and hopefully companies will cut costs, but not too much, because if they continue to do that, that's going to have a big negative or an economy if unemployment really starts escalating. Paul Lunsis, tell us about uh, uh, your company again. It's Lounces Asset Management, LLC, and we manage separate accounts customized to the individual needs of each client, and we buy all individual securities, both equities and a variety of fixed income instruments. Thank you. Uh, Have a great uh, rest of the weekend, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Our next uh, guest is Ty McCoy, uh, West Pointer, former Assistant Secretary of the Air Force, and uh, one patriotic American. Ty McCoy, tell us what's on your mind today and on Friday of Thanksgiving weekend. Well, John, thank you. And it's very good to be with you. And I hope you all had a very, very happy Thanksgiving. We're very blessed to be at uh, a... Uh, I'm a leg man. I had, a, I had a turkey leg. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, you've always been a leg man, I think, and a good one. Uh, so uh, we're always real proud to uh, be on your show and be with you on... Uh, these issues that are so important now to the country. And I was looking back uh, at something that I had uh, written in 1979 uh, or thereabout uh, for the Baltimore Sun uh, when I was helping to draft uh, the uh, Reagan defense plan, the Reagan budget, uh, some of the uh, policies that were going to go forward if the president uh, won, and he did. And it was entitled Strong Believers in a Weak America. It was an op-ed piece. And I think that's what we've we've got right now, which is very, very uh, dangerous and very uh, distracting uh, and weakens us in the eyes of our enemies and and makes them take chances and pose risk to us uh, very, very uh, directly, very uh, strongly, very well-organized threats to us. And basically, we have a, a group of people who are imposing and trying to impose upon us uh, false gods, if you would, false idols, false ideologies, such as uh, green uh, 
uh, energy that can come from somewhere even when the sun's not shining uh, and do away with oil and gas, a critical race theory, uh, calling everybody white supremacists or some other kind of supremacist, uh, sort of trying to create hate and division, which is really uh, cuts to uh, the, the power of America. And they're strong believers in a weak America because a weak America actually gives them power, gives them power to direct and to oppress and to uh, make money in various ways. And we are letting ourselves, uh, many in the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, are, are proffering this uh, to sweep aside our history, to sweep aside American values, to sweep aside American strength, uh, not pay our troops properly, not fund the troops uh, and their equipment properly, uh, to uh, reside and, and uh, let happen uh, things that are supposedly beyond our control. Uh, but there are a lot of things that are are under our control if we choose to take action and to unify and to work hard towards them, as we have always done. Uh, and so whether it's the southern border or the fentanyl coming in or uh, satellite uh, activities by our enemies, uh, things happening in the cyber domain, uh, unfair trade, uh, domination and uh, taking uh, uh, cruel actions against uh, minorities in our own country, such as Chinese China does in, in Xinjiang province, or the Russians are doing inside their country and also outside their country now in, in, in Ukraine. Uh, all of these things are taking place because we appear to have uh, be ununified, disunified over here, and we're choosing to follow false agendas. Right now, uh, many troops are, are living in uh, subsidized housing, living in trailers. Uh, Many of them have had six or seven or eight overseas tours. Some of them are on food stamps. Uh, many committing suicide on active duty and veterans. Wow, well, I have suicide on active duty? How many of those have we had? Uh, we've had a good number. We have some every week uh, uh, that are depressed. They're sometimes not even in, in a combat theater. They're on bases in the United States uh, because they have family problems. They have problems, uh, you know, with uh, education. They have problems getting medical care. Uh, so there's kind of a shortage uh, all the way around. The military is is uh, getting kind of the short end of the stick while we're busy sending out, you know, uh, trillions of dollars in stimulus checks to people who are sitting at home on the couch and, uh, you know, uh, taking it easy and doing nothing and, and basically taking their the check they thought they were going to get from Uncle Sam and going on vacation and, and putting it on Facebook. In the meantime, uh, the military is seeing that they are – not respected inside the chain of command for either religious or regional or racial or other reasons. That's one of the reasons that the U.S. military today, most of the branches, cannot meet their recruiting quota. Well, thank you for your service. Thank you for everything you've done for our country and continue to speak out for our country. And uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank that you. sounds great. God bless you. God bless. With us today is our in-house genius, and we found out not only does he know about science, not only does he know about medicine, he's also a historian. We have Dr. Peter Mihalos, and Dr. Peter, Sunday today after Thanksgiving, what would you like to talk about? Well, we all survived our cholesterol bullets, and uh, I forgot my Lipitor spray on Thanksgiving, and uh, I'm glad that it's over. I don't think I'm going to be eating meat for a while, and we've got to stick to our intermittent fasting diet. So we can uh, stay thin and continue with our longevity uh, plans. Today we're going to talk more about longevity because it seems to be a very popular topic among our audience. And uh, we always want to start with defining what 
longevity is and what age is. Our chronological age is how many times we went around the sun, and that's how many birthdays we've had. Our biological age is the condition of our body, and now there's a whole bunch of new tests that can actually measure your biological age through swabs in the mouth and through blood tests through a process called methylation. There's another test that uh, was more popular a while ago called telomere length testing, but now the DNA methylation and how our DNA is doing is more of a measure of our biological age. And there are certain lifestyles, diets that shown to actually improve people's biological age. Diet plays a major role. You can have the best health care in the world, but you need to also have your lifestyle care. And uh, we're learning more about the Mediterranean diet, for example, Sardinia, Icaria, Greece, and then uh, places like Loma Linda, California, where they eat a lot of avocados, but not that much olive oil. That has also been found to contain a lot of this oleic acid. Aging should be labeled a, a disease because basically a lot of the things that happen to us happen to us because of aging. So if you slow aging down, we're going to save trillions of dollars as a society uh, just not not getting uh, as many uh, diseases related to aging. Thank you, Dr. Peter Mihalos. Thank you for the update on the anti-aging. We all want to live longer, and uh, we'll catch up with you again uh, in the next few days. Thanks for getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable. Every Sunday morning, we'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno.